Did y'all really think we weren't going to talk about the discourse this month? Okay, so let's back this up before we launch off. I'm Corey. Taylor's here with me. Welcome to the first episode of Ladies First for Pride Month. We're here to talk about discourse related to sexuality and sexual expression because we have to have this kind of discourse, of course. Um, So much salt. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems to rear its head every year, and we really wanted to talk about it, just because it seems to me there's this really weird uptick of, like, purity culture in queer spaces, which is odd. Uh, We actually, we refer to it as QPPC, or Queer Patriarchal Purity Culture. And obviously, like I said, we're doing Pride Discourse Every year it comes up about like, oh, should there be kink at at discourse, kink at pride? Should there be public displays of affection at pride? And I'm like, who the heck is it hurting? If you don't want your kids to be seeing certain things, keep them in the family friendly area. I mean, come on. It's very much just seeing general conservatism and like you said, purity culture just creeping into like, the queer community and culture in general. And like, this is not not anything new. The whole discourse about like um, queer people who are quote unquote presentable and like good for society versus those who are quote unquote degenerates and are at risk of harming the children with like showing skin. It's like, this isn't new, it's just, at least to me, feels more prevalent in recent years with the likes of Twitter and people constantly giving these hot takes that are just repackaged homophobia and th- what about the children panic kind of discussions. Well, like, and again, it's uh, delving in a little bit more to what Taylor was talking about. There's this kind of bizarre purity culture standard that's kind of just creeping into the queer community in general and i want to get out of the way first we're not talking about like if you are asexual and you are just sex repulsed that's not what we're talking about you know you do you that is perfectly valid um we're more talking about things that those of us who left behind maybe more conservative christianity are like this looks very familiar this seems like something i grew up with the entirety of my childhood. Why Why is this coming back? This seems alarming. Definitely. Like, I've seen discourse this year on Twitter about, like, if gay men can wear, like, leather wear at Pride, like, leather harnesses, and how that will affect the children because it's sexual clothing. And I'm like... Like, nope. we, like people don't wear sexual clothing all the time. Look at billboards that your children are seeing every day that are overtly sexual, far more sexual than somebody in a leather vest. Yeah, it's, in America in general, this country has such an unhealthy relationship to bodies in general, like, you know, that whole Puritan mindset of no nudity at all, you have to Mm -hmm. cover up completely. And that's fine if that's what you choose to, but it's when you enforce that on other people and, inherently sexualize the body is when it gets to be a problem you know someone in like 
spandex or thong is not going to traumatize a child if they're just like minding their own business celebrating yeah which is what it's there to do for that they get one month and then they get like two or three days for a pride event like seriously if you if you are so concerned about little tommy seeing somebody in a speedo then keep them in the family friendly area and or just don't take them out of the house and then deal with that when they grow up uh i mean this isn't to say that i don't think there shouldn't be discourse about pride i just don't like that this is the discourse to be having if you're going to have discourse by pride talk about corporate fueled alcoholism and alcohol insertion advertising in all of pride there's something we can talk about or talk about how to make spaces more accessible to those who are physically disabled, for example. Exactly. Like, yeah, there, there's plenty of things to be critical and improve upon on Pride. But this puritanical, no, ooh, bodies are icky thing that's creeped in is just not it. Now, obviously, it's not a ladies first episode without Taylor having done a buttload of historical research for us. (laughs) So we do have um, some context and I do want to get into. I don't think this is just evangelical thought creeping in. I do think it is part and parcel of. It's an overcorrection, overreaction of maybe some bad behavior that happened in years past, which I might get in trouble for saying, but I do want to talk about that as well, because obviously this didn't just come in in a vacuum. And if we're going to understand and take down beyond our opening salvo of like why this is bad, then we need to really kind of examine what led us to this point. So I would like to start off with um why i think it's not just this kind of like background radiation of white christian nationalism culture creeping in whether people realize it or not when i say that i think there's also some overcorrection i'm talking about uh maybe there were some times at pride or certain events where there were not good enough boundaries and people maybe felt a little threatened or a little harassed because there was some bad behavior on other people's sides. And I mean, we, we have to own up that, you know, that does happen and it's not okay. When we talk about consent at pride, we're not talking about a daddy in a leather vest. We're talking about respecting other people's personal space and leaving them alone when they want to be left alone, not assuming that all the pride is a meat market for you to go prowling on. Um, I've actually never been to pride, so I can't comment on that, except I'm not surprised that could happen because every space is vulnerable to predators. And instead of having dumb discourse about like, again, if someone's wearing like a leather vest, it's instead important to talk about how to, if you know of someone who's being predatory, how to like who how you can have those conversations how you can report it kind of stuff like Mm -hmm. instead of an hr at a pride parade like who do you go to if you see someone or if someone's bothering you that's more useful discussions than about like public indecency quote unquote and on the same token um i know taylor mentioned earlier in this episode about how 
I mean, yes, the U.S. does have a problem with how we have this shameful interaction with our bodies, both men and women. I do want to acknowledge that um, the aughts and for part of the 2010s, there was a lot of exploitative male gaze and a lot of women's bodies being shown in a way that was overly sexualized or violent or just not healthy or toxic. And I do think that, you know, starting around the Me Too movement, there has been more of a pushback of, you know, this isn't okay. And I think we have to be careful that we don't turn into, oh, any sort of flesh is not acceptable. It's being respectful, not doing so in a toxic manner, not doing so in a coercive manner. But you can't, I don't think you can run headlong into this borderline puritanical of like, oh, I saw Goody Proctor showing her ankles. I have to go tell, (laughs) you know. I also think a lot of people need to do self-reflection on like what their own boundaries are and what they're comfortable with. Because like if you go to a pride event and see someone dressed in a way you don't like and it weirds you out, like that doesn't necessarily reflect on either of you. It's just figuring out what you're comfortable with. Like I personally wouldn't probably go to a pride parade because I don't really like crowds or loud noises. And I know that about myself because I know my limits and my boundaries. Like, yeah, it's all about, I think, spending time really self-reflecting is a good part of like to avoid discourses to better know oneself. Mm -hmm. But you're not, you know, Taylor doesn't necessarily like the noise in the crowd that would accompany with pride but taylor's not out here campaigning to cancel pride because it's too rowdy or crowded or noisy yeah and if i would ever go you could always i'd probably ask if i could buy earplugs get earplugs and protect my ears i mean it's amazing what you can do if you Mm pre-plan like all the bases you can cover oh exactly i mean at some point there has to be some personal accountability here (laughs) yes Um, so I think kind of, we've established the pride, what we think about this, but there's a broader aspect to, you know, queer patriarchal purity culture. That's a mouthful. Um, (laughs) QPPC that we also want to talk about in this episode. Um, I would like to, especially because this is ladies first, let's talk about queer women's sexuality. Um, one of the things that is just still going on as we still see women getting shit for dating around even you know though men have been doing it freely for time immemorial and it's this form of slut shaming by the way like that slut shaming compounds if it's a queer woman of color or a trans woman or a queer woman of color, trans woman. I mean, just like the more you go down, the worse it gets. Um, For example, Haley Kiyoko a few years ago talked out in an interview how music executives were very questioning of her having female love interest in her music videos and why she would do it more than once. And she's like, because I'm a lesbian and I date women and I make art about loving and desiring them, basically. And just having to push back against that, you know, women 
if they if they express heterosexuality, they still get shamed for it. But they, they at least are seen as doing the right kind of sexuality by society. So mm-hmm. the slut shaming and the eyebrow raising gets worse every, the further you're away from quote unquote normal society. Well, and then and here's what really, really gets my goat. Lesbian porn made for men. Ew. So queer women's identities get to be fetishized and consumed in over-the-top toxic porn scenarios by men. And that's totally okay. But the moment a whole authentic, real queer woman wants to go out and embrace her sexuality physically you know, assuming she's not asexual, then all of a sudden the purity police are coming out like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this thing as a children. Oh, why are you doing this? You have to set a better example. Like, seriously, that chaps my hide like nothing else. Men get to consume women's sexuality for their little happy times to their heart's extent. Yet real women and I mean, real women, not in the sense of like, I'm trying to be terpy. I mean, real women as in like, not fantasy porn scenarios can't go out and enjoy physical intimacy without judgment. It reminds me of how people like to make fun of romance novels and just deride them as all trash for women's fantasies, which would be fine if it were, but not all romance novels are trash. No genre is purely quote unquote trash stories. And how it's this idea of, the second women express their sexuality in any way that isn't centering the male gaze, it's threatening. And with queer women, it's the idea they are fetishized. Mm-hmm. So they're both fetishized by men and then also derided by men and delegitimized. I actually last night was watching an old college humor video. It was some like a parody trailer for the Brokeback Mountain trailer. It was for Lesbian Mountain, so it was Cowgirls. It was like all about how men like to peep on queer women's in this physical expressions. And then the video ends with them getting married and all the men in the back of the church just going, this is disgusting. Yeah, I mean, that's basically. Yeah. Once it's locked away and you and it's not there for, you know, spank bank material, then oh, no, we can't handle this. It's not centering around us. It's not for us. This can't happen. But, yeah. I mean, besides male fe- me- men fetishizing queer women, I also want to talk about, and this is, it's a concept I don't think we talk about quite as much about compulsory virtue that queer communities Enforce, and I know a lot of people would not consider this term a compulsory virtue term. But I really, and this is something Taylor brought up, and the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like, no, this is this is exactly what this is. And you know, the WLW community has this term, and some of you may guess what I'm about to say, called a gold star lesbian, and it has nothing to do with how many women you're physical with it has everything to do with if you've ever been physical with somebody who is not a woman and therefore you are rendered somehow less pure definitely so compulsory virtue is a 
term that comes from writings by sex worker scholars who are familiar with how women's sexuality when self-owned is demonized. And it's the idea that this is society basically imposes on all women this expectation of us to be virtuous. And if we are not virtuous, then that means we are othered and put outside of society. And it's kind of like a riff on the term of compulsory heterosexuality, which is like a classic term in um, queer history and theory, the idea by Adrian Rich. And it's the idea that, you know, society is built around the idea of women being straight. And so like lesbian isn't even an option and it's not even like talked about or, or like seen as valid. And it's like a whole complex thing, but yeah, I thought compulsory virtue is a good term to bring up because even though the queer community is built around desire, whether it's romantic or sexual or both, there's still a certain level of gatekeeping sometimes and this idea of, oh, like, if you like being quote unquote promiscuous, you know, that makes you slutty and it's doubled so if you are not a cis gay person because, and if you are a queer person of color, because I mean, there's the term by slut for a reason. And it's not because, and it's because, you know, bisexual people are fetishized and hypersexualized on both sides, straight and gay. So here's, here's my thing, and especially going back to gold star lesbian, not everybody is in a safe space or has the privilege of self-awareness that you recognize at three years old that you are a lesbian and you are safe to be open and out about it and never have to do anything with a man or never confused about it. It's all just been one clear, uh, I shouldn't say straight, but one clear shot tunnel for you since you were three years old, you had the divine revelation, I'm a lesbian. That is great if that happened for you. A lot of people do not have that. And I really hate the way it says gold star, like it's a prize when a lot of people may never have that privilege. Mind you, there are still places in the world where you can be executed by the state for not being straight. So to be out here touting this star of like, oh, I'm a gold star lesbian. Well, I mean, good for you, Sharon. I'm glad, I am genuinely glad you were able to figure this out and had a safe environment to bring that up. I do not appreciate that kind of like backhanded derision towards your fellow women in queer spaces. Also, I mean, who cares if somebody's bi? Who cares if a woman was married before she realized, oh, wait, I think I like women. Like everybody has their own individual journey. And I don't like this whole label of stars quantifying it. You don't get to judge somebody else's journey towards understanding and accepting and living their sexuality. And I also think this extends to how we as fans approach our fandoms and our quote unquote ships. I think this plays directly into, especially in Fem Slash, this representation of like the one true love. So, Taylor, did you have anything you wanted before I go off on like a massive tangent? Um, I do. You, should I talk about the bury your gaze trope now or wait until you 
get your stuff out. Let me get this out because that's kind of its own little subject. <laughs> cool. Hmm. So one of our other writers, Diana, had brought up that, you know, that's after decades of minimal representation in any media, fandoms have latched on to like only one and done pairing as a ship. And there's this like severe negative pushback on shows with more, I should say, modern as far as representation goes. Modern takes on allowing women loving women to like date and break up and have new partners and, you know, be a mostly, you know, a normal person who normally is going to date throughout their life. You know, if, if you're somebody that dated one person and that one person worked for you and you're married to them, great. Is that the universal experience? No. Do I enjoy the pushback that there are shows where, no, you do date and it doesn't work and they break up and then they go by, find somebody else. Do I like the freak out over that happening? No, I don't. I think it's, I'm going to bust out the P word problematic because you're kind of saying, oh no, you have to be one and done. And your first person that you date is somehow going to be your true love. And that it doesn't work like that. I mean, you know, for an example, the Supergirl fandom, when Alex and her first ever lady love interest, um, Sanvers, quote unquote, when they broke up, there was huge, huge pushback on that of how dare they this, you know, Alex and Maggie was supposed to be Alex and Maggie. I'm like, they had honestly a very natural reason to break up. They were dating. They got to know each other. Then they realized we're at odds on one of us wants kids. One of us does not want kids. That's not an issue that's going to be resolved. That's, that's a breakup issue. And so they broke up and... Now Alex is with Kelly and very happy and she's doing just fine. It's normal. Sometimes you are in a relationship and it doesn't work and you break up and you go find somebody else who works better for you. This idea of one true love is just, it's not realistic for most people. I shouldn't say most, but for many people, it's not realistic. In some cases, it's toxic of, oh, well, you found this person, you should stay with them. It doesn't matter that they're actually really bad for you. It's also like such a toxic, toxic idea. You can only really truly love once in your life. So then if you love someone and you break up, it's like, well, shit, I guess I'm not going to be in love with someone again. And I'm going to be a spinster and alone for the rest of my life and be surrounded by cats. And when I die, nobody will come check on me and my cats will eat me. I'm like, really? Now, to what Taylor was talking about with barrier gates, I understand there is historical context that is important to understanding why there's this reactionary contingent now, but also why we need to embrace this reframing of media regarding the WLW experience. So Taylor, here's your chance to talk about barrier gates. Okay, thank you. I just didn't, I wanted to let you get your part out. I didn't want to like, change gears too quickly so the reason why i brought up barrier gaze is because as Corey pointed out there's like this reactionary element now because for so long queer people have been 
basically taught to expect that there are no happy endings and that any love story portrayed is will be invalidated at the end of the story in like the worst possible ways and or they die or they die hence bury your gaze and this goes back like well into the 19th century like i read an article on this that placed it probably around the 1880s or so like approximately so over 130 years of this has been baked into our culture and I just don't think a lot of people realize how bad things were only a few decades ago. Well, even just a few years ago, like Taylor, do you remember the spring slaughter from 2016? I remember hearing about it, but I wasn't watching a lot of TV at the time, but I remember hearing about it because I followed someone who was a big fan of Klexa. So I saw that through her posts and just, yeah. And it to was, be fair, it was not just Klexa. There were like four or five shows that spring that killed off their bi or lesbian characters violently. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a tip. That was a tipping point for WLW representation and media of it made national news. Because it just it happened very violently and in such so many in such a short period of time that people finally were like no this is this is bullshit like enough like this is this is not healthy for our community to keep seeing our stories and in violence but i think the problem is now that that is being stopped we we feel like we're only going to get one shot and if that doesn't work, then maybe the character is going to go off into the sunset alone and we'll never hear from them again. Which, to be fair, yeah, that's still a valid worry. And I understand that. But I don't think the correct answer is forcing this one true love relationship on everything as opposed to demanding better representation and more realistic depictions of queer relationships. You know, the whole barrier gaze, that was partially because queer people would so often depicted as being like sex fiends who are going to like come after you. So it's like now people are overcorrecting in the opposite direction where everything is like, ooh, woo, you know, how cute. The lesbian couple, every lesbianism is so pure. Yeah, it's like this purity culture courtship thing. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying like every relationship needs to just be hopping into bed like that. That's not realistic either. Again, what we need to be demanding are genuine, unique relationships that fit the characters that are being written that aren't stereotypes and they're not playing into harmful tropes. Like, yes, would it make sense for, say, Beatrice and Ava from Warrior Nun to immediately profess their feelings and jump into bed with each other. No, no, it would not. But it doesn't, but the characters are why it doesn't make sense. On another show where you have people who, you know, are not still a nun in the Catholic Church, would it maybe make sense if that particular character is just looking for a one night stand and she finds somebody and they go have fun? Yeah, it can make perfect sense for them. It has to be 
character specific, which means you have to actually write those characters well. Definitely. You know, I think one of the reasons why Nona Earp was so popular, and I'm not saying it is not without its problematic elements because, oh boy, yes, it is. But I think one of the reasons it was so popular is because Waverly and Nicole are allowed to have a very physical relationship and it's not titillating for the male gaze. Definitely. And they even bring up the male gaze in the show because wasn't it in season two there was that guy who was being like really creepy towards them and basically trying to out them. So it's like not only was the show not using the male gaze, it was acknowledging that the male gaze is something queer women have to deal with in public spaces all the time. But, you know, and it's going back to just some realism of, I remember back before One Day at a Time was like perma-canceled, there was talk about Elena and Sid that, you know, she she might have had her first breakup you know what if, what's gonna happen if elena and sid break up i'm like well that's normal she's in high school some people do marry their high school sweethearts a lot of people don't it's pretty normal if she gets you know a full ride over on the east coast and they break up and she goes and explores herself more and finds several new girlfriends but there was a lot of people like i am gonna be so angry if they break up i'm we gotta boycott them if they break up i'm like why um it reminds me like this whole conversation as well just going back to this idea of purity culture it's the idea that it's enshrining like heterosexist values with you know you marry a high school sweetheart you get the white picket fence preferably white and middle class and prescribing that onto queer people who are seen as be able to fit into the mold as close as possible to straightness assimilationist is what it is it is yes and it's you know classic respectability politics if you know if we show the straights we're just like them they'll be nice to us and let us give us a seat at the table But the thing that's being unspoken is to get a seat at that table, you have to step on a lot of people and throw a lot of people under the bus. And And even then, you're not going to be fully respected. No. And it's very much about balancing, you know, wanting to portray queer relationships as being capable of romantic love and not just being sex crazed, like gross stereotypes, while also acknowledging that there are queer people who do really like being promiscuous, non-monogamy, whatever. And it's like not demonizing normal behavior because it's a queer person or a woman or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like or especially me, like, and especially with trans women expressing their sexuality. Oh, holy crap. Y'all need to mind your business. That's all I'm, I'm that's all I'm going to say. I'm just like, when it comes to policing trans women and their sexuality, mind your fucking business. I'm done. <clears throat> yeah, for me, I was thinking from the bi perspective of how I'm not against storylines with bisexual characters who cheat, but it's for me depend because people do cheat. No matter their sexuality, cheating is not an inherent stereotype to one person. It is when the bisexual person is written as cheating because that's expected of them 
like I said, it goes back to being if it fits the character, exactly. I'm okay with it. If it's because they're bisexual and I'm and my like bi senses are tingling, my biphobia senses are tingling. Like, mm, she's cheating out of nowhere. Oh, you're bringing up her bisexuality. Fuck you. Definitely. That's something I, why I started watching Stumptown, why I stopped watching Stumptown, because they came up with this fake cheating storyline that was, like, really gross when you thought about the implications. And then they kind of brushed everything under the rug, and I'm like, there's no evidence that this character would cheat on her best friend with his girlfriend. Like, mm-hmm. she's a disaster for various reasons, but she's not a disaster like that. And, of course, that was compounded by the fact that they're, like, no other regular, like, main cast queer characters which is kind of annoying that there's like the one token queer person on a show when in fact we tend to congregate yeah That's like if so, you want to be that is something we want to talk about like realism in queer characters we do congregate there's safety in numbers especially because she was living in a city like portland and i'm like oh, portland? seriously she's like, the only queer person in her group of friends in fucking portland like, she doesn't have a lot of friends, but the fact that we, the only queer person, other queer person we meet within, like, the first eight episodes is her ex-girlfriend who's passing through town. I'm like, come on now. Really? Um, Portland. Look, yeah. And, you know, I can only suspend my belief so far. Like, you know, the Ghost River Triangle, I could probably buy it. Portland? You might as well say San Francisco. I know, right? And it was made worse because basically her best friend's girlfriend wanted to break up the friendship because she was threatened by her boyfriend having a close female friend. So she's like, I'm going to get this bisexual woman super drunk to the point she passes out and then lie next to her bed without my clothes on to make her think we've had sex and then t- tell my boyfriend we- about this. Um, so he- That's really fucked up. It was. It so was. And, and like, violating. I know, I watched this and I was like, I then watched the next episode just to see how they dealt with it and they didn't. And I was like, well. Bye bye Stumptown. Yeah, I was like, this is this is just getting turned off. Not going to watch anymore. And the thing is like a few weeks ago, I read a book called Conversations with Friends which is by Sally Rooney. Um, and it's all about a college woman having an affair with an older man. And she's a bisexual woman having an affair and the man's wife is also a bisexual woman who has cheated on him. But it does not feel like the bisexual cheating stereotype because they're real characters who make these decisions for various complex reasons, which are explored. And like her best friend is also a lesbian. It's a very small core group of characters, three of which are queer. So three women and the guy. And Normally, I'm not interested in literature that's all about people having affairs with each other because it sounds exhausting. But I read it and I was not bothered by the bisexual cheater stuff because it made sense with the characters that these were very flawed people doing very flawed things. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the bottom line is there has been a lot of problematic stereotype, stereotyping tropes. Um, A lot of trauma that's been written into media representation of queer characters. And there's the ice cream truck in the background. Um, (laughs) I look forward to that every time. 
yeah i mean it's like death taxes in the ice cream truck in los angeles anyways so there's been a lot of trauma that's been written into media depictions of these relationships and of these characters and it feels like things you know we are in a sea change of we are getting better representation we're getting better characters we're getting better stories you know they're not dying they're thriving in many shows but it feels like we're still stuck in a trauma reaction almost of well we have to veer this other way and it has to all be this and it has to all go exactly like this because if it doesn't then we may lose everything and the characters may be getting written off and we'll never get to see anything and that's not going to get us where we need to go where we need to go are authentically written characters who happen to be queer and have entire lives who happen to be queer and they're respectfully told their stories are respectfully told definitely and that's why i think we need more stories that aren't just about coming out Mm -hmm. like um I was recently looking at books to order for my birthday and I found it came across this one book about a bisexual woman who is like a detective in the 1920s. And I was like dying inside because I'm like, this is what I've wanted. I want a character who is queer, who solves mysteries. And it's not about coming out because that's like one moment in time. I'd mm-hmm. much rather ex- read stories about people being people and doing crazy things and it's just, it's, it's the idea how people are like, oh, it's queer. It's its own genre. And I'm like, no, queer is not a genre. It was made a genre because of like shitty homophobic society. Yeah. But nope. to, we shouldn't be boxing it in now when it's more free and more available than ever. Um, you know, as problematic as Legends of Tomorrow is, and again, it's plenty problematic, I will give them credit Ava and Sarah exist as a power couple who are queer. One is a lesbian, one is bisexual, and they're just, it's just part of who they are. It's, they're just, they're people who happen to love each other, but it's not all of who they are. Definitely. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so sad, like, Teenage Bounty Hunters got canceled up within, like, being released of two months because it was so much about female sexuality in general and just girls exploring that and talking Mm -hmm. about it. Like if I had a show like that when I was younger, I feel like it would have helped me address a lot of internalized messages much sooner because they're having actual conversations and not shaming each other. Right. I mean, sexuality, like we've had a big change just in the past 10 years. When I was in middle school, I had to be lectured by the health teacher in this visiting lecture about how if women have sex, they bond with men and have this hormonal chemical released into their brains. And so the more sex you have different people, the less you bond because it's like using the same tape over and over again. And so it sticks less. That is like, fuck up. Yeah, I was like 13 and in hindsight, I'm like, I didn't even get that in Bible Belt, Oklahoma. I'm from Delaware. So the fact that I got that and it's like, I don't know who my school is talking to, but they brought in this lady who lectured us on this. And she's like, yeah, you can just be a virgin again. You just have to swear off sex and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, um, this yeah, doesn't that sound didn't right. That just cause a lot of issues for young girls. 
Yeah, just being told that if you have sex with a bunch of guys, you're basically not going to be able to fall in love more easily because you like that is piece of tape. That is messed up. That is so messed up. I mean, I do agree with you before I just like spend the rest of our episode talking about how fucked up that is. I do agree with you. I think it's a shame that Teenage Bounty Hunters was canceled. I personally didn't watch the show because I'm in my 30s and I prefer watching shows about adult queer women as opposed to teenagers. But I do know that the representation they had on that show was very... um, refreshing you know we've talked about as one of the reasons i love warrior nun is you have adult women who are queer and i'm sorry i don't care if you have the straight lenses on taylor what was it you said about mary and shannon how they basically subvert action heroes of feminism and sapphism no you said you could drive like the ss queer tannic through them or something was i the one who said that i thought i don't know it they are so sapphic code i mean like let's be real they were in love with each other toya turner said she played it like it was romantic yeah and like if that's what the actress is saying who's read the comics and the characters queer in the comics like come on and but even beyond shotgun mary just like the way they've developed ava who is bisexual i'm sorry she is ava's bisexual she likes men she also said you know, what was it? You told me it was like episode two or three where she was like, I need to go find a hot guy or a hot girl. Yeah, basically. And I think it's episode four. She's like walking along and she's like about wanting to have sex with someone. And when she says that she like look is looking at a woman in the door, a doorway or something. And I remember it because I was like, this is something that completely go over straight people's head. Mm -hmm. But it's very obvious when you actually look at what the scene and I learned this from the internet talking about it, but when she goes into a bar in the first episode and a woman is kind of hitting on her, a song that was in an iconic scene from Blues the Woman's Color was playing. <laughs> like, I did not notice that. When I learned that, I was like, oh, oh, they knew what they were doing. But yeah, like I said, when I said earlier, like, do I expect Beatrice and Ava to go jump into bed with each other? The moment they admit their feelings, no, it doesn't make sense for their characters right now. And that's okay because it's not purity culture. It's just where those characters are in their lives. So like if they made it all about that, I would have a lot of different thoughts and I'd be saying as much. But, you know, so far it has been written well. I'm excited to see season two that's getting ready to start production finally. Of the starting production? Yeah, they're in Spain now for pre-production, so they should be filming before too long. Nice. So we'll finally get season two um, of that, which, again, I really enjoy the representation on that show. Um, If you can handle all the other problematic elements from Legends of Tomorrow, I do still think that the relationship they have between Sarah and Ava is very modern. Um, mm-hmm. Supergirl is ending, but again, I like the relationship with Alex and Kelly. Um, and I just, I would like to say there's other shows, but I just haven't been watching as much media lately and there's no way on this green earth. I'm going to go and be like, yay, motherland, Fort Salem, rail and Scylla. I ship somebody with a terrorist. I'm sorry. I can't do it. 
I can't do it. And I know some of y'all really did not like me saying that last time. I'm going to double down on it. She's a terrorist and she doesn't need to be with anybody. So we're not Scylla fans here. <laughs> I've never watched Motherland for Salem, so I can't throw in my two cents. Um, I just say, if you want to watch cartoons, I totally recommend The All House. Season two is coming out next weekend and I'm so excited. That's right. So Owl House and Taylor. Okay, so here's the thing. Taylor has written at length about both the Owl House and Warrior Nun. Um, Warrior Nun, maybe not quite so much about the relationships and the way you're thinking of as far as queer content goes, but it's still, you know, it's worthwhile reading if you want to take a look at a trauma narrative. Um, the Owl House, did I just say the Owl House? The Owl House, (laughs) you know, she's had some fantastic pieces on that as well. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and link them to the bottom of the article on the Fundamentals website that this episode will be on. If you do want to go check those out, in addition to all of the resources we normally list on our episodes, I would uh, highly encourage you to do so. I just think they're really well done pieces and worth your time. If you haven't already read them, speaking of time, we are starting to round out. So I do want to go ahead and plug the rest of our Fundamentals network podcasts that Taylor has so helpfully written out in the list for me again. I don't know how I did this show before I got Taylor <laughs> on here. I really don't. <laughs> Type A's for the win. So uh, Fundamentals podcast on our network. We also have All Bark No Dice, Anime Attaché. That's a new one taking two anime neophytes and an anime expert and kind of capturing their reactions to the first time they're being exposed to it. So right now it's brand new. I think we just had episode two or three come out by the time this episode is done. And uh, so far they've been on My Hero Academia. So that's a lot of fun. We also have Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. We have Cannon Fodder, which is very uh, WLW friendly. And that's a lot of fun. It's every first and third Thursday of the month. A new episode comes out. Fae Forge Academy. That's our weekly TTRPG series on Fridays. We still have previous episodes of Unabashed Book Snobbery and The Fundamentalists up if you would like to go back and listen to those. Obviously, we have Ladies First. That's Haram and Right to Survive podcast. If you have been tuning in for Sartorial Splendor, we're actually going to be tweaking that it will no longer be in a podcast format instead we're going to be profiling a lot of different lifestyle creators across the internet in a monthly profile so if you want to follow me over to that endeavor i would greatly appreciate that as well so i think right now that uh pretty much covers it doesn't it taylor yes it does perfect so obviously this is pride month Make good choices. Be careful. Watch your drinks if you're going to be drinking in public. Mask up if you haven't been vaccinated yet or if you're only partially vaccinated and still social distance and take care of your health and wear sunscreen. Wash your hands. Yeah, that too. Yeah. (laughs) Wear sunscreen, wash your hands, maybe carry some sanitizer. So enjoy Pride Month. We will have one more episode out by the end of this month. So stay tuned for that. But until then... Again, I'm Corey Taylor. Thank you for joining me. Thank you again for having me. And we will catch you all next time. Bye, everyone. Happy Pride.